Welcome to the Prancing Horse Podcast. I'm glad you can join us to learn about the history, news, and culture of the world-famous Ferrari. I'm your host, AJ, and I'm so excited to continue our Prancing Horse Podcast with this second history episode. We are a week late on this, and I hope you'll accept my apology for that. I was sick last week and not doing well. I spent the week recovering, and now I'm ready to continue sharing the Prancing Horse culture and history with you and the generations to come. This history series is going to teach you everything you could possibly ever need to know about the history of Ferrari, from cars to Enzo himself and also racing. Anyone can Google Ferrari, but I wanted to be able to provide you with an insider's perspective. I have been working in the service department of a Ferrari dealership for the last 10 years. I started my career there with them as a car washer, and then I went to apprentice technician, technician, master technician, shop foreman, and now I'm the service manager. I've done many different Ferrari training courses, and I've also completed multiple master technician competitions, ranking second in the country in 2019 and going on to compete internationally. I also did some racing with the brand, doing some challenge racing and learning a lot about the inside scoop of a race team and how they work. I love Ferrari and what they create, so buckle up and let's talk history. With Ferrari SPA now founded, in 1947, Enzo set out to build an engine, not a car. Ferrari long loved and admired the V12 engines used by companies such as Alfa Romeo, where he had previously raced. The engine they would develop would later be called the Colombo engine. It was a 1.5 liter V12 fed by three Weber DCF carburetors. It was designed to have the capacity easily increased by using a 90 millimeter bore spacing and made a whopping 116 horsepower. And this engine would be debuted in the 125S. This iteration used a single overhead cam, one on each cylinder head, with two valves per cylinder and revved to 6800 RPM. The 125S was a two-seater open-top car with a five-speed gearbox and went on to win many races in 1947. Weighing only 1,450 pounds, the car was nimble, sporty, and powerful. The car won six of its 14 races in 1947, taking its first victory at the Grand Prix of Rome on the Terme de Carcala circuit. Only two examples were ever made. 1947 also brought us our second road car, the 159S. Using a Colombo V12, now with a larger displacement at 1.9 liters, horsepower was also increased to 125 at 6,500 RPM, and using three Weber 32 DCF carbs, the first race out at the Circuit de Pescara, the company driver Franco Cortese was able to get a second place podium for Scuderia Ferrari. The Colombo engine was also designed with F1 in mind. This led to the first F1 car Ferrari ever produced in 1948, the 125 F1. It used the same Colombo V12, but with a supercharger to meet the demands of F1. A tubular steel frame and double wishbone suspension really started Ferrari in the right track for F1 racing. The car also used four drum brakes, and the chassis and transmission were designed by Valero Colletti. With Raymond Summer at the wheel and a well-designed chassis, Ferrari was able to nab a third-place podium finish on its first Grand Prix out in the 1948 Italian Grand Prix. 1948 also brought us the 166S. 
Only 12 were produced, 9 with cycle fenders known as the Spider Corsa, and 3 known as just Sports. Updated to 2 liters from the previous model, the 166S won the Targo Floria with Clementi Biondetti and Igor Tubetsi in 1948 and again in 1949 with Biondetti and Benedetti as co-driver. And in 1948, it also won the Millimilia, and then came the 166MM, or Millimilia. 47 166MMs were made, with only six being coupes, all the rest being Barquettas, or open-top models. In the 1949 Millimilia, the 166MM scored a 1-2 victory overall and took first place at the 24-hour of Le Mans at the hands of Lord Seldson and Luigi Cinetti, who would be crucial in the world of Ferrari later. Another 166mm also won the Spa 24 hours. In 1950, a modified 166 with a bigger 195S engine won the Millimilia again in 1950. The last of the 166 models is the 166 Enter. Debuting at the 1949 Paris Motor Show, the 166 Enter was named to commemorate the victories of the Scuderia Inter racing team. Designed to be a sports car for the street, the 166 Inter was the first Ferrari GT car ever produced. Using coach-built bodies, this meant a bare chassis was delivered to the coach builder of your choice when you purchased the car, as this was common during the time. The 2-liter Colombo V12 from the 166S remained, but only using one carburetor, the car was limited at 90 horsepower and would reach a whopping 93 miles per hour flat out. 1950 brought us the 195S. Although only a small number were produced, these cars started as 166MMs sporting a 2.3 liter V12 with triple Weber 36 DCF carbs. The car saw a significant increase in power and the power band, making it easier to drive, winning the 1950 Millimilia and the Copa del Toscano. Same as the 195S, the 195 Enter was also released. Using the same 2.3 liter V12 but with a single Weber carb, only 27 examples were built. We also saw the 275 F1. For 1950, Ferrari decided to switch to the 4.5 liter naturally aspirated formula for the series. Using a 3.3 liter V12 with three Weber 42 DCF carbs and making 300 horsepower, it made its debut at the Grand Prix of Belgium. Alberto Ascari drove the car to 5th place, quickly changing to the 340 F1 using a 4.1 liter and new D. Dion 2 brew suspension and slightly longer wheelbase, the car was able to keep up with Alfa Romeo, but retired with engine trouble. The final iteration for the 1950 season brought the 375 F1. Finally meeting that 4.5 liter cap, the car debuted at Monza. Even though producing the same power, the car proved to be more reliable bringing home a second-place finish at Monza and a victory at Silverstone. This car thrust Ferrari to the F1 spotlight and bringing them the first world championship win with Alberto Ascari behind the wheel. Later F1 changes would bring the 375 Indianapolis for an IndyCar entry, but the car was not competitive in that trim, even with more power and an even longer wheelbase. 1951 brought us a new Formula 1 car known as the 212F1. Two chassis were made, one with a D. Dion rear axle, chassis 102, and one with a swing axle, chassis 110. 
Being sold to two different individuals, it's hard to consider this a Scuderia Ferrari team car. Weighing 1,500 pounds, it used a 2.5-liter Colombo V12. Chassis 102 would only enter two races. Debuting at the 1951 Syracuse Grand Prix, the car finished second and would qualify third in the PAU Grand Prix, but would retire early due to steering issues. Chassis 110, however, had a much better history. Debuting at the Syracuse Grand Prix as well, the car finished third behind the other 212F1, second at the Bordeaux Grand Prix, and third at the San Romeo Grand Prix. The car was also entered into Formula 2 races using a 166 2-liter engine. After 1951, the car only appeared as a Formula 2 car since Formula 1 adopted Formula 2 rules for the 1952 and 1953 seasons. Making its final appearance at the 1953 Swiss Grand Prix, the 212F1 is a legend in its own right. Now, being an evolution of the 195S, the 212 Export was built. Both in the traditional Barchetta body style and the closed Berlinetta styles as well, 27 total were built. Some being conversions of the 166MM and a rebodied version of it even making its way into the movie The Racer. Two of the 212s being bodied in a convertible version were strictly for the road, although they were based on the 212 export. Although most were used in competition, being wider and more rigid than the 166, the 212 saw great wins in races such as the Tour de France, not the Lance Armstrong version, it was a motor race before that, you know, and the Frio de Schilia, Copa del Toscano, and 10 Hours of Messina, and honestly, a lot more. Those were, that was just to name a few. We also saw a new road car, the 212 Inter. Also an evolution of the 195 Inter, unveiled at the Brussels Motor Show, 82 were produced and it used a 2.6 liter V12, having both single and triple Weber carbs depending on the chassis. Some even using an improved cylinder head design which added an additional 5 horsepower. Autocar, a British car magazine, gave the car an amazing review outperforming any car they had previously tested, even though admitting they did not push the car all the way to redline since it was such a new example. Almost promising better performance from a broken-in model, this really set Ferrari on the roadmap and in history as an amazing road car designer. Overall to this point, this is a stressful but successful time for Enzo. Setting his legacy in F1, his strong personality and tenacity would continue to grow through the decade. Now, we are in 1952. Continuing with upgraded legacy, he introduced the 225S. With 25 produced, some starting life as a 212 export and some even as a 166mm, a bigger bore on the cylinders made a great improvement to engine performance. From 165 to 210 horsepower, the car made its debut at Euro di Sicilia, taking a fifth place victory. Second place in the 1952 Millimilia and taking First through fifth place at the 1952 Monaco Grand Prix, the 225S lives forever as one of the most raced and beloved chassis of all time. Ferrari then released its first, what I would consider, iconic model, the 250. They have both short wheelbase and long wheelbase models. Boasting up to 300 horsepower in some of the later ones, this is arguably where the elegance of the GT cars started. Using the 3-liter version of the Colombo V12, the world had just began to beloved. This was available in a Berlinetta, Cabriolet, and a Coupe. We could honestly do a whole episode just about cars holding the 250 name, 
and I think you should stay tuned because we are going to do that in a later episode. This designation would span 12 years, including many famous race cars and streetcars alike. Bueller? Bueller? Bueller! These cars included the 250 MM, the 250 Monza, the 250 Pontoon Testarossa, 250 LM, 250 Europa, 250 TDF, 250 GTE, and the almighty 250 GTO, just to name a few. With this model seeing so many years in different versions, we cannot do it justice in just one episode. It will get its own dedicated time. But the 250S must be marked today as a one-off prototype entered in the 1952 Millimilia, winning the class against almighty cars such as the Mercedes-Benz W194. 1952 was a weird time in F1. Using the F2 rules, the Ferrari 500 was the only car in the field specifically designed for this F2 formula. Using an inline four-cylinder set up behind the rear axle in a mid-front engine configuration, Alberto Ascari won his first world championship in the 500 and doing it again the following season. 1953 brought us the 553. Debuting at the 1953 Italian Grand Prix at Monza, still under F2 specs, and 10 more races again in 1954 in the new F1 specs, known as the 553F1. This car was less than successful, bringing in only one win in six races. 1954 also brought us the 625F1. Based on the 500 chassis, but with a 2.5 liter inline four-cylinder engine. Although the 500 was quite successful, the 625F1 only won two races between 1954 and 1955. Ferrari would not have much success in F1 until 1956, when Juan Manuel Fangio won the 1956 World Championship of Drivers in the Ferrari D50. Originally starting as a Lancia design, the assets of Scuderia Lancia were given to Scuderia Ferrari when the controlling shares were sold due to financial trouble. The Ferrari 801 was created in the 1957 season, although not being as competitive against the Maserati 250Fs. 1957 also saw great struggle for Enzo. At the 1957 Millimilia, seeing increasing speeds, poor road conditions, and non-existent crowd protection, the Millimilia would end with one of the most fatal crashes in motorsports history. In Giudizzolo, just 40 miles from the finish line, Alfonso de Portago and his American navigator Edmund Nelson were sitting happy in third place in their Ferrari 335S. Just moments before running to the sidelines for what's known as the kiss of death, Alfonso ran to the sidelines during a stop to kiss actress Linda Christian. During the stint following that famed kiss, a tire failure sent the 335S hurtling over a canal on the left side of the track. The car then veered back across the canal. The accident left both men perished with Portago said to have been severed in half. Both men trapped under the demolished race car and both men are said to have perished fairly quickly. Unfortunately, it would not be only the lives of those in the car that would be lost. With 20 people injured, nine spectators dead, five of those spectators being children, more than just lives were lost that day. The accident didn't just kill drivers and spectators, it killed the Millimilia road race. Shortly after, the Italian government banned all racing on public roads of Italy. Enzo Ferrari had also been officially charged with manslaughter. 
Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. Make sure you follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any of our new content. You can also interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and prancinghorsepodcast.com. And as always, Forza Ferrari.